Hello, folks, and uh, thanks for tuning in for another edition of the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Reed, and I'd like to thank Website Amp and the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino for making our uh, production possible. So this week, we are going to take a peek into the Rec Room. Uh, As you know, every month, a premium member goes into the Rec Room with one of our Wrecking Crew members and takes a closer look at their play, their database, their stats, um, or just talks poker. Um, So this month, uh, we've got an anonymous coaching client of mine who has sent me a little over 100,000 hands in a database uh, in Poker Tracker 4. And I'm going to be reviewing that data. I'm going to be using different HUDs, filters, reports, different ways of querying that pool. And uh, we're going to find some ways for even an accomplished, excellent poker player like this uh, to find a few areas to improve and to increase their win rate. So um, I think people will get a lot more out of this if you go to YouTube and watch the video version of this podcast. And uh, But I think, of course, you'll pick something up just by listening along. And it's just one of the great perks of being a member at Rec Poker. So uh, thanks for listening. And uh, if you have any questions, you can always email me, Jim, at Rec Poker to find out more about our community and uh, different ways to learn together. All right. Hope you enjoy. Talk soon. Hello, Rec Poker Nation. It's Jim Reed here. And I'm putting together a little promo sample of uh, what uh, a database review service would typically look like. Um, uh, one of the poker players that I'm working with has sent me a database of their hands. It's about 100,000 hands, which is an excellent sample size. And uh, so they went to rec.poker, shop, private coaching, Jim Reed, and that brought up this page. They clicked on database review, which includes a one-on-one review session. And then this is typically what would happen next. Um, I like to work with people in all sorts of different capacities. Um, But if we're going to be working in Poker Tracker 4, it's really better to start with the database review. Send me all your hands. That way I can do some offline work to get us started. Um, And it gives me a sense of I can very efficiently work through the data and send you a video um, like this one that we can follow up on later. And if you want to use some individual coaching hours to work in Poker Tracker 4, Um, After that, that makes perfect sense, but to start with the database review is a great way to get started. So uh, once you've decided that uh, that's what you're interested in doing, you send me your hands. I import them into Poker Tracker, and then we work with that data set. So as you can see, I've hidden the name of the poker player uh, that we're talking about here because they've been kind enough to allow me to share this with Rec Poker Nation, so we're going to try and keep them anonymous. Um, They're an excellent poker player. They're experienced, strategic, thoughtful, and very much a winning player. So they're not, I'm not going to, I don't expect to find a lot of big gaping holes in their game here, Um, but I do expect to find some places where even excellent players like this will be able to find a way to improve their win rate here and there. So, I like to start by just pulling up my own HUD on this player, and that gives me a sense of if I were to encounter them on a table, this is the hero here. I've masked everyone's names so you can't tell who we're playing as or against. But uh, this is what I would see on this player if I encountered them at the table. 
We've got 107,000 hands. As I say, that's an excellent sample size. And so let's just take a little while to go through what I could find out about them using my HUD at the table. And that usually helps me make some notes about what I can drill down into in some of the more sophisticated uh, aspects of Poker Tracker. So we'll start with the very simple stuff. Uh, VPI and PFR, 2721, an aggressive player, uh, not too big a gap in between those. This seems like uh, loose aggressive. There's no reason to think this isn't a winning player. Um, I'm not going to waste much time on that. That sounds pretty good. 10% 3-bet. Again, that's in the same range of aggressive winning players. Um, there's definitely a lot of non-value holdings there, but um, there's nothing to comment on at this point. That sounds great. Cold calling in position, uh, 7%. That's likely a good mix of pocket pairs, suited Broadway, suited connectors, um, some offsuit high unpaired cards. Uh, the balance of that cold calling range is important. So we'll drill down uh, a little more deeply into that. And let's just see what else jumps out at me here. 18% um, three bet versus late position steel. That's robust and aggressive, but it's nothing that I wouldn't expect. Um, facing wider late position opens. As, again, that's just going to be part of an aggressive player's game is going to be aggressive defense of the big blind. Limp folding 62%. That does seem unusual for this player. This is an aggressive thinking player. So I'm surprised that they're limp folding 62% of the time. So I'm just going to make a note. We want to take a look at what the limp calling ranges and what the limp re-raising range is there or limp yeah limp raising range because if you're limp folding 62 percent of the time that means you're limping with a pretty weak range and i'm i'm i think that's an area we could work on we talked about pfr and uh, pfr is great for giving a sense of generally how aggressive the player is pre-flop but i like this one here raise first end which is more specific to their actual opening range and if you know players' opening ranges, you have a much better chance of putting them on ranges street through street throughout the hand. So starting with raise first in is a good way to do that. Um, and they're attempting to steal, which is uh, raise first in but from late position at 47%, which is, again, perfectly in keeping with their um, aggressive play. And then we've got some folding stats here about how they respond to three bets and four bets. Um, in three bet pots, they see bet 87% of the time. In a non three bet pot, they see bet 68% of the time. And in a pot where they are not the aggressor on a previous street, they bet the flop 39% of the time. So that's you, you want to see that descent um, in frequency as you are as you move further away from having an uncapped aggressive range. Uh, you want to be continuing on further streets less as well. So that makes perfect sense. Uh, I don't see that turn 46 seems low. This is an average of all positions. Seems low. And the river seabed also seems a little low. So I, I would, I'm just going to make a note here. Maybe that's a function of sizing for this player, but it uh, feels like that's an opportunity there to either get value bets called by worse hands or to make bluffs uh, to get better hands to fold or, or obviously that's going to be very villain dependent, but I think 
you should be looking at ways to increase your turn c-betting. And then these are just the folds that correspond to those bets. So this is folding to a c-bet in a three-bet pot, folding to a c-bet in a non-three-bet pot, and just folding to a flop bet uh, that was not a c-bet. Um, that looks fine. This turn folding to turn bet also seems low. So that's a little weird. You're not betting as often on the turn, and you're calling more often on the turn. Well, you're not folding. So does that mean, let's take a note here. Are you two betting the turn? Because raising the turn is a great way to not fold too much and not call too much. Um, also, people tend to get very honest on the turn. So that, I, okay, I'll be curious to see what your turn aggression frequency is, but I feel like if these are all calls, you're calling too wide on the turn, and I would fold more and probably two bet more. Your aggression frequency looks consistent. You're going to showdown about half the time. You're winning at showdown about half the time that you go to showdown. That all seems right in, in the middle of play. Um, and then this bottom line here is all about the flop. So this is donking, folding to donks, float bets, folding to float bets, check raises, folding to check raises, and two bets that are not check raises, or I mean two bets generally, and folding to flop two bets. So looking at this, I'm glad that your two bet and your check raising values are higher than single digits. Most players in our player pools are going to be check raising and two betting flops with single digit stats that are almost always value. And that makes them easier to play against. You've added some to this by getting it up to 13%. I still think you're probably not check raising or two betting enough given, I mean, maybe in your player pool. I don't want to speak for how your player pool plays. But I think you can add some semi-bluffs and uh, maybe even some thinner value to those. Um, that's something we can drill into a little later. Donks. Donking at 3%, I don't know. That's really exploitable. I, I mean, maybe you're, maybe you're just playing donks. I don't know. Anytime you're using such a small, well-defined hand uh, range like that, it's almost better to just not have a range. Like this is the same reason. If you're under the gun plus one, this is the same reason you shouldn't really have a three betting range against an under the gun open. In order to profitably have that range, it basically has to be only the top, top, top premiums to to mathematically be profitable as a value three bet. And that just turns your play on its face so easily that you're often better off just calling instead and not even having a three-bet range in, in under-the-gun one versus an under-the-gun opener. This is kind of the same spot here, I feel like. If you're only going to donk 3%, I'd rather put that 3% of hands in a check-raising range or, or maybe, I mean, it depends on what you're doing it with, but I'm guessing that's not a balanced range. We'll, we'll look into that a little closer. 
And again, sizing might have something to do with that, but I'd either expand that range or just get rid of it. Um, or maybe you're only using it specifically for exploitable uh, plays against certain opponents. So be it. I get that too. If you get enough hands on people, like your fold to donk is only 33%. So you don't think donks are like the nuts only. So why are you only donking 3%? What is it that you think other people are donking? And if they're donking that wide, what do they think you're donking with? And can you exploit that? Can you exploit that by even two betting some of their donks? Um, okay, all, all good stuff to think about. So that's, that's the most that jumps out at me here. So just looking at this, um, the HUD itself, I'd say limp folding, donking, uh, turn folds, and turn bets are the areas that uh, kind of jump out at me. And then just generally finding some more semi-bluff or thinner value spots. And I wonder if your turn, because this is, this is, okay. If your turn bets are low like this, and, well, okay, I don't want to speak too much about that. These might be, your check raise and your dogging, those are both, and your two bets, those are both kind of tied into your turn strategy as well. So the fact that you're playing so passively on the turn, I'm not sure that even complements this strategy as well as it could. Maybe you should be, if you feel naturally disposed towards playing more passively on the turn, maybe you should even be even more active on the flop because a lot of these hands, they're, gonna, they're not going to be three streets of action hands anyway. So you get to choose which hands you want to apply pressure with. Um, it doesn't always have to be the flop and the turn and the river. It's hardly ever going to be three streets. If you prefer to not do it on the turn because you just like that dynamic, you like the line of playing the turn passively, um, nothing wrong with that, but but find another street to take those aggressive actions. Um, I mean, some of them should be on the flop, some of them should be on the river. Some of that's going to be runout dependent, but I think you can you can take a bigger picture look at your strategy here and uh, think about how some multi-street attacks or some multi-street defenses uh, might shape your ranges, might even shape some of your pre-flop action, certainly your flop action, to get to the turn um, with, with different, different hands. I'm kind of oversimplifying there. All right, so let's look, let's drill a little deeper down into the HUD. So if you click on it, you get this pop-up menu which has tools, pre-flop, flop, turn, and river. So tools is a very general uh, data collection here. It's got total and then by position. So this is extremely helpful. It also has, instead of PFR, it has race first in, uh, or as well as. So you can see how these two compare. And it's obviously uh, raise for stain is, is a very different stat, and when you're constructing ranges, I think it's very important. Um, you can also look at three betting by position, three betting versus position, 
um, squeezes. There's a lot of different ways to tear this information apart. And let's just see. Yeah, so you do a lot of your three bedding versus the small blind and the button. And uh, that tells me that you're doing a lot of three bedding by the blinds, which is good. Um, that's, that's a nice, aggressive way to be playing there. And we saw the big blind three bet overall is 13%, which is very big. Um, but we also saw the three bet versus a late position steal is even higher at eight, at 18. So it's, it's going to be lower than 13 in some of those other spots, so factor that in. Which is good, that's what it should be. Um, Alright, so there's lots of interesting stuff there. Preflop alone gives you some other information here. Uh, some of these are going to be calls. Uh, I really like some of these cold call, two bet, uh, call squeeze. You can, kind of, you can kind of define some ranges with some of this stuff by position. And then more information about steals by position. Again, a lot to be found out there. Flop, turn, and river are three bets and non-three bet pots. But then this is what I really like. Bets and raises, calls, and folds. So just like with the heads-up display um, without the pop-up, we're looking for outliers in any of these fields that give us a chance to find where they're getting out of line and uh, develop a counter exploit. So they see bed in position 74%, um, which is a little high, but that's fine. The see bedding at a high frequency in position is probably a good strategy. It also kind of depends on how you respond to two bets and check raises. Folds to check raise 40%. So yeah, I'll be we'll we'll dig a little deeper, but um, calling check raise forty six percent. So he's, so you're expecting to get check raise sometimes and playing accordingly, and that's exactly what you should be doing with a high C bet, um, which I think you should be doing in position. So that's great. Let's see if there's anything else here that jumps out. Uh, yeah, that's okay for now. Let's see. All right, turn. I always like to start with the folds because I'm an aggressive player as well, so I like to just see. Is there a street they overfold where we can apply some pressure sort of regardless of the board or our holdings uh, in any bluff spot? Uh, I would not say this player overfolds. So I feel good about that. Call a three bet a lot on the turn. So that means, that's yeah, I'm surprised they even have had that many opportunities to call a three bet, but uh, let's just see how that plays out on the river. Uh, yeah, again, very donk, very low donk on the turn, 8%. I'm curious to see what, let's just take a look at what the turn donk values are later when we go a little deeper into some of this stuff. And I also like to just look at the difference between 3-bet and non-3-bet pots and see if they have um, a difference. Like, for instance, you're donking in a 3-bet pot and in a non-3-bet pot is very similar and it's not that small a sample size. Uh, so you'd think, I don't know, I'm kind of curious to see how that dynamic is playing out. And you don't really fold to turn docks. 
So I'm curious. River. So, float 60% of the time. And the way Poker Tracker defines floats is if the aggressor on a previous street had the opportunity to make a C bet and didn't, did you bet? That's a float bet. Um, people typically talk about floats as being calls made on a previous street with the expectation of taking it away later, even though you don't really have the equity to make a street call. Um, Poker Tracker 4 talks about floats in terms of bets, and they're bets when the sea better failed to sea bet. So in this case, a river float would be someone had the betting aggression pre-flop and we called. They sea bet the flop, they sea bet the turn, and now is the river, and they did not sea bet. So they're a two and done player on this runout, and then we have the opportunity to check or bet. And we, in this case, we bet 60% of the time. So we're, we're, the strategy behind that is just that we are probably getting to the river with a strong enough set of holdings by calling two streets. And some of that is going to be disguised strength that we wanted him to bet and didn't. Um, so some of these floats will be value. Some of these floats will be bluffs. Uh, we'll see we'll see what that breaks out as if we have time in a later section of this review but um, let's just see what's their float on previous streets 41 on the flop 47 on the turn 61 on the river so that's a we'll just make a note about that for this for later as well check raising very small all single digits here. Yeah, all single digits for all these raises. So I wonder if that means all this together, I wonder if that means that I wonder what that means when they are betting Something tells, just looking at this, something tells me you should be two betting more. You should be two betting more. 10% total two bets. Yeah, I feel like you should be two betting more rivers. You should be raising more rivers. Maybe not. Well, yeah, I don't see why not. Okay, I don't want to waste too much time uh, without being able to dig down deeper into the actual hands that you're making these choices with, but um, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't think you're too bit bluffing enough on the river. And you're seeing the river, yeah, you're seeing the river 83% of the time you see the turn. So we talked about your passive turn play. You're not folding, you're not raising, you're mostly calling or checking, and you're making some bets. That's going to mean that you see a lot of rivers. And... I feel like that also, yeah, all right. I think two, two bet more rivers. That's what, that's what I'm seeing here. Let's dig a little deeper. I'm just going to pause this and we'll uh, open up some other filters in Poker Tracker and see what's up there. Actually, just before we do, I've just noticed something also here, this fold to river float. So that, that's, that feels like, that feels too high. Uh, 
I don't see you... You're not too betting enough to be folding to that float that high. Uh, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. This is pretty exploitable. If you're just going to bet flop, bet turn every time you have a good hand and check river when you don't, it makes it really easy for opponents to just float river and you're not you're not raising enough to make them afraid of doing that. So this actually this is a big this is a big problem. Um, given how passively you play the turn, folding to the float seems not a good strategy given the overall dynamic of the game that you're establishing here. I think you'd do better to if you're gonna fold to all those floats anyway, play the turn differently and change that dynamic for when the river comes along and you'll arm yourself better for some of that river action by playing the turn differently. Okay, let's go check out the rest. Okay, so here we are. We've got the positional uh, statistical... We're in statistics in Poker Tracker 4. Again, I've got the camera up to block some identifying information. The report we're looking at is summary, and we're grouping by position full rank. With a little over 100,000 hands, this is a good sample size, and we can see uh, a pretty good breakdown. Uh, the camera's hiding it here for part of it, but if you had a smaller um, sample size, you would go to position, which just builds it into a six max setting, so you actually get more hands per, per position grouping. Um, for us, we're, we're fine with using full ring with this uh, sample size, although even still, you're still going to get fewer than 10,000 hands for some of those middle positions that get uh, knocked out of the aggregating order first. Um, still, lots lots to work with here. So, a few things we can look at here. Um, this is the VPIP. This is the number of hands, VPIP, PFR. Working in a cash game, you could talk about your all-in adjusted big blinds and stuff like that. Working in tournaments, I don't think it's that effective, but um, you'll generally see uh, VPI and PFR increasing as you advance in position closer and closer to the button, which you see here as well. Now, under the gun, we're, we're in the nine-handed uh, breakdown here, and under the gun, honestly, 17% is too wide. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what tournaments you're playing in. I know you're an experienced, excellent winning player. I think you're just you're going to be... Some of these hands that you're opening from early position are just not profitable from early position. I don't care how good a poker player you are. I don't care how bad the field is. Um, you can't play 17% of hands from early position and have them all be profitable. And I'm not sure you're benefiting enough from board coverage and balancing your range to include it. I mean, if you are, you're playing either bad hands at too high a frequency or you're just playing too many hands at a full frequency. But I would I would cap some of those. I would just cut some of those early. This is under the gun. This isn't early position as a whole. This is under the gun. So I think that's just too many hands, um, which is going to get you in trouble later in multi-street play being out of position with sub-premium holdings. I won't harp on it, you know, but for me, I would knock that down a little, even for an experienced player like yourself. 
Uh, middle position in 20, in the early 20s, that seems perfectly reasonable. Uh, and I'm sure up in late position is even higher. We'll, we'll look at some of your raise first in stuff, which is the true test for this. I don't think you're doing a lot of limping. Um, but that's that's one thing that jumps out at me there. Three betting. Yeah, even three betting 4.5% from under the gun plus one seems wide to me. If you're assuming that under the gun is opening, we talked about this just in the earlier slide uh, on the HUD. If the under if the end of the gun opening is as tight as it should be, 4.51's a little wide, honestly. Uh, some of those play better as calls. Um, you know, I wouldn't be three betting ace jack suited there. I don't think into uh, into a typical under the gun range because you're just not you're not winning against their continuing range. And more importantly, everyone behind you still has a chance to wake up with a premium hand. So um, that seems a little high, specifically because I know you're only ever three betting under the gun from under the gun plus one. Now that we're getting into middle position, there are more opens for you to three bet. So I don't mind it getting bigger. And uh, that all seems fine. In fact, I'm a little surprised your cutoff three bet isn't a little higher but I imagine you are just playing a very solid mixed strategy for calling and raising with some of those sub-premium hands there. And then we get higher in the blinds as well, which we should. And as we looked at earlier in the HUD, uh, most of those will be targeted against late position opens, uh, which are opening with wider ranges anyway. So I like that a lot. This 4-bet plus is expressed as a portion of your opening range. Um, so you would expect to be four betting more relative to your tighter range in earlier position. That all seems to be making sense. And cold call two bet preflop. This is probably mostly just pairs. And then I expect this gets into more suited and unsuited unpaired holdings, hopefully some suited connectors, suited Broadway and a couple offsuit high cards, but I really don't like calling with many of those uh, offsuit high card unpaired hands because uh, they add up pretty quickly from a combo point of view, and they can only ever really make one pair hands. Um, so they're not great choices for multi-way play. Preflop squeeze. So the, uh, a preflop three bed. It's just any time there's an open raise in front of you and you re-raise. A preflop squeeze is when there is an open raise in front of you, someone else is called, and then you have an opportunity to re-raise. Typically, those are good spots to call because you get better implied odds. Um, if you've got speculative holdings, you get a better chance of getting paid off. Um, if you do flop like a set, for instance, but it's, it's actually a really good spot to bluff, semi-bluff, light 3-bet because the dynamic at play is such that the original opener, in a normal 3-bet situation, they get to close the action after you 3-bet, and they get to know they're going heads up with you post-flop. It really clarifies their decision-making. If there's another player left to act, then A, the 3-bet's larger because you've 3-bet larger I hope, as a consequence of there being more money in the pot before your bet, before your raise. But also, that over original raiser, A, no longer gets to close the action. 
So they have to factor in these possible future decision trees, uh, branches on the decision tree, where that caller wakes up with the big hand and comes back over the top and reopens the action, or maybe they're in position, so now this original caller that was going to be in position versus a straight-up three-bet from the blinds is now out of position multi-way. So it makes them much more likely to fold. So squeezes are great opportunities to three-bet with blockers um, because the original caller is just more likely to fold and the pot's bigger. So why wouldn't you want to do that? The other thing that makes it great is that that person who called, they've kind of capped their range by doing so. If they had aces, kings, queens, ace, king, you know, those are typically going to be in a three-betting range. So by them calling, they've reduced, let's say discounted, the combos of those premium hands that they could have. So when you make the three-bet, it's very unlikely that they're going to four-bet you. And maybe they're going to call. They were in a calling mood before. That's how we got here, right? So you have to make that three bet big enough that for them they're like, nah, I don't, yeah, this was a this was a calling hand when it was an open, but this isn't a this isn't a twelve big blind hand because <laughs> some people do think like that. Um, so you should take advantage of that by giving them an opportunity to fold. So typically squeezes you should squeeze at a higher rate than you three bet. And I actually see you just comparing these here. Okay. So here, by the time we get to middle position, then you are squeezing at a higher rate. But back at the button, you are, you're not squeezing as much. And I wonder if that's because you are cold calling more. Yeah. So you're trying to realize your equity by making a hand, which is great. Everyone loves to make hands, and you're going to be in position to do it. But... I feel like you just you have an opportunity to squeeze some extra EV from these spots. And it's kind of your responsibility to yourself as a tournament player to find spots like this where you because you're already such an accomplished player. You're we're not gonna find ways for you to say, oh well just make this little switch and I'll improve drastically. You're you're not going to improve drastically. You've already become an excellent poker player you're going to improve incrementally in ways that we can stack on top of each other to make you a more profitable player. This is going to be one of those ways. Um, squeeze more. Look for the right opportunities to squeeze more, whether it's with blockers, whether it's with opponents who tend to fold to three bets. So look at stats for the original opener, like folds to preflop three bet after raising. And look for stats on the caller, like cold call in position with a very wide range and fold to three bet period. Um, there's also a fold to squeeze stat that you can look up in that heads up that I showed you and target some of these players and do it, do it with, with real bluffs, man. Um, people fold to squeezes a lot because it's a, it's a working strategy. So you don't have a problem being aggressive. Look for these squeeze spots where the dynamic is right, where the opener's wide, the caller's wide, you've got a blocker, and they are predisposed towards folding to aggression. Those spots come up a lot. And by just calling, yeah, you're realizing your equity in the flop. You're realizing your three-card equity. Um, 
but you're just you, you can do better you can make that spot more ev by raising there instead okay that's my squeeze spiel okay so this is a heat map and this works is in the same statistics we're in uh hold'em hand range visualizer that's the report that we're looking at here and this has a few different ways to look at all the hands you could possibly play. You're very familiar with this 13 by 13 grid. You can select what we want to query here. So I've got cold call, two bet, preflop. And the positions, I have unchecked the small blind and the big blind because I just want to see the hands that you are cold calling a two bet with in position where you are not playing from the blinds, you have nothing invested, and you will not be out of position post-flop. So typically we're gonna see a lot of pocket pairs, suited connectors, suited Broadway, offsuit Broadway, and suited aces here. I see a lot of that, um, and I also see some hands that I feel like are probably not profitable cold calls in position. Um, so we'll dive a little deeper into this. Another thing to know about this heat map is there other ways to filter? So I've got this with the effective big blinds from 75 up. I think that's where you're going to get a lot of interesting strategic play in tournaments. We could bring this down to 50. Uh, there's lots of other ways to get at it. You could pinpoint between 50 and 90, for instance, stuff like that. Let's say 50 for the sake of it. And you can see this is a pretty linear uh, value, heavy range with some board coverage. Um, this is actually very disciplined. There's not, I mean, the King 7, the Queen 7, the Jack 7. Other than those hands, this is, it's at least in a, it's in the right kind of shape, you know what I mean? Still think you're, some of this is, you, you should not be calling, you know this, uh, you should not be calling with some of these, with this stack size, um, let's take the button out of it and let's just say early and middle. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, this looks right. This looks smart. Um, you've got some good board coverage here. I let you're probably three betting with some of these, uh, not good enough cards to hit, to call with. Um, I'd also expect you to be three betting some of these. Maybe ace five is showing up as a three bet. Let's just take a look here and see. Yeah, 9-7. No, still ace-5. Maybe just have not been dealt ace-5. That's weird. Uh, but I see 9-7 here as a 3-bet, uh, which I'm sure is just one of those bluff ways. It's also there as a call. So you're, you're employing a mixed strategy. Oops, that's the wrong one. Yeah, 9-7. So you're not calling with 9-7 suited. You are... 3-betting with it 10% of the time, and then I guess you're folding it the rest of the time in early and middle position, which sounds like the right play, to be honest with you. Honestly, I think 7-5 suited... I mean, certainly 7-5 suited is a fold here, I think. Um, all this other stuff, sure. Sure, you can find ways to play that profitably. Still, like, some, some of it is a 3-bet better, but... Um, I trust your judgment in the moment. The blinds. Okay, let's see if we lower the stacks. 
Okay, now you're a winner. So 25 to 50, you're a big winner with king queen. But when you go to 50 and up, look what's happening, man. That's brutal. So you are using king queen in a way that gets you into reverse implied odd spots. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's by calling and against an early position open that just has you crushed with aces, kings, queens, and ace, king, and ace, queen. Um, maybe it's three betting it in, in, in opportune spots. But these are good hands when you have 50 big blinds or less because you're trying to make high one pair hands. And they're typically going to have a good kicker when you do that. But over 50 big blinds, it just shows me that you're getting into second best hand territory. And that's going to be the case with all these. Okay, well, I don't know. Somehow Ace 10 is doing well. <laughs> Ace Jack's a loser. King Queen's a loser. Uh, what are we talking about here? This is all in DP, DPI. So again, let's take this back to cold calling in position. Yeah, King 10 is actually winning, but a lot of these are losing hands. So I would just say stop stop playing them the way you're playing them. See, interestingly. And then let's take a look at the overall range. Wow. Wow. So look at this. When you cold call a two bet um, not out of the blinds, this is the percentage of all your hands that you do it with, how they show up. So roughly 5% of the time it's king jack, 5% of the time it's king queen, 5% of the time it's ace jack off, and a little less than that it's ace queen off. So literally 18% of the time when you call, when you call an opening raise in position, 18% of the time it's with these four hands. Isn't that crazy? Uh, because the offsuit combos add up so fast. And if you count ace, ace 10 off, that's over a fifth of your whole range are these five offsuit hands. That's nuts. That's a lot. So now there's different ways to construct ranges and do, you know, construct whatever ranges you want as long as you balance them properly. I'd be more inclined to do more of that calling with these suited ones and to put some of these offsuit broadways in either a three bet range or a folding range or a bluff three bet range that you plan on folding to continuing action. Um, but it feels like cold calling in position like that, That's you're, you're going to see a lot of these negative results. And part of it's the sample size, honestly, but most of it's just that they're just, they're one pair of hands. They're one pair of hands at this stack depth. Um, you're better off, you're better off playing them differently. Well, thanks, folks. I have so much fun talking about Poker Tracker 4. In fact, um, it, I have so much fun doing it. Every month, I lead a group coaching session where any premium members are welcome to just come and uh, join a rotation where they submit hand history reviews or a database for review or other ways to use Poker Tracker uh, to look for leaks and gaps in your game. Um, any premium member can come. Uh, we have these study groups every Saturday uh, on a different focus every week, but at least once a month, 
I do have just a, a, a group that focuses just on using Poker Tracker for uh, to find leaks for our premium members. And that's all free and included in your membership at rec.poker. And if you want to use the code recpoker, you can sign up today and get your first month for only uh, five bucks, which I think is a great way to help us at Rec Poker to keep the lights on, keep uh, the website running, and also uh, honestly just get some great value with the training materials and of course uh, all the wonderful ways we have to engage with the op- with the uh, community here at Rec Poker. So well, I guess without further ado, I'd like to thank Website Mark again and uh, Website Amp and of course Running Aces Hotel Racetrack and Casino and I hope to see all of you at Rec Poker sometime soon or on YouTube or in the home games or somewhere Uh, but we'll see you then. Thanks everybody. Take care.